Tape Community Music and Film. Together of Bayside Radio. Present the Wellbeing Podcast. In this show, we talk about, well, anything really. But at the heart of it, we talk about what is known as the Five Ways to Wellbeing, a set of habits to encourage us to look after our mental and physical well-being. In this episode, it can be really useful to surround yourself in a different environment, in a sense, and to take your mind away from the problems that might be going on in your life. And at the same time, you don't want too much of that because it's kind of being counterproductive towards taking the steps to solve those problems. We discuss what effect playing video games might have on our well-being, our memories of them growing up, and whether some types of game are better than others at giving us that boost. If you want to cross the road at a video game, just play GTA 5. I don't wait for the lights. It's GTA 5, not real life, bro. There's a car coming. Grenade launcher it. I'm not going to do that in real life, but... But first, a quick word about tape. Tape offers a world of opportunities where people and communities bring creativity to life. The charity offers a broad range of creative opportunities for groups and individuals in inclusive, safe and supportive environments. And is open to everyone. Our team and facilities support hands-on experiences and opportunities in areas such as filmmaking, audio production, music, photography, VR, art, design and animation, creative writing, podcasting and much more. Workshops and activities take place at the Tape Community Arts Centre in Berthys Road, Old Conway, and as outreach projects across North Wales. For more information, visit tapemusicandfilm.co.uk. Search for Tape Community Music and Film on social media channels, or call 01492-512-109. This is the Wellbeing Podcast. Today, we're really lucky to have Niall Jones, who works here at Tape. Obviously, been for it been with Tape for a number of years now. Could you talk to us about what uh, what is it you do here at Tape? And, yeah, of and course. Thank you very much for having me, first of all. It's a, it's a great honour to be here. But, um, yes, I've been here for about four years now at Tape. Um, I mainly do freelance work with them at the moment, so it kind of ranges from video editing to filmmaking and bits and pieces. And I kind of had that Tape experience when I started, where I kind of came through the ranks, started volunteering getting my first experience with film and it's kind of just grown from there and it's, it's felt like a home straight from the start which is a really special thing so what was the like biggest project that you felt you saw yourself grow afterwards if you know what oh, i mean it's a good question i think approaching shadows probably yeah um i remember when i started i wasn't very confident for those of you listening i have had experiences with anxiety disorders and depression and when i joined tape i was kind of coming out some of the worst points in my life. It kind of started to turn a corner already. Um, and Approaching Shadows was one of the first big projects I kind of got involved with. And it was quite daunting at first because I think I was there for some of like the planning stages and kind of walking into this room of people who were kind of like all working on a big film and it sounds so exciting. And I kind of got intimidated a little bit by that. But the more I settled in, the more confidence I found in myself and realise that there are other people like me as part of these sessions who are finding great enjoyment out of it and then I got a chance to act in it really last minute and I just jumped at it and that was like the big moment really where I kind of like felt a lot more comfortable doing what I was doing so everything from that um, because I was involved on set a lot of approaching shadows on camera um, doing behind the scenes documentary stuff which I'm still working on as of today as well actually Um, yeah yeah, and doing stuff with the editing 
in post-production as well. It's been brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Approaching Shadows started quite a few years ago in development-wise, mm. so that you're still working on it at this point. It shows in itself how much of a big chapter it is of your of your life. And yeah. yeah, and I'm glad it's sort of been transformative in that way. Approaching Shadows is available to rent now on Bohemia Euphoria and other streaming platforms. Just mentioning it. Before our chat with Niall about his YouTube series, we kicked off our video game discussion with a little nostalgia. Bryn, Tyler and I talk about the first games that captured our imagination and how we think they managed that. My first video game that I played was Skylanders. Skylanders? Skylanders Swap Force for the Xbox 360. That was just amazing. All the stuff you could buy, bro, to finish off, to if you wanted to 100% the game, you got to buy everything. It's the best thing in history. Was that where you got the figures and you had the little island and you could put the figures on? Yeah, and, you had the yeah, portal. My brother had that game. I think we have that here at Tape, Skylanders. Sure, they've got it out in one of the youth sessions. All oh, right. There's a couple of them. There's Skylanders, the Skylanders Giants, Skylanders Swap Force, Skylanders Trap Team, Skylanders Superchargers, and Skylanders Imaginators. The first one didn't have its gimmick except for the Toys to Life thing, but the rest of them did. Giants had giant Swap Force. You could swap the top and body of the characters to have cool new characters. Trap team, you could trap the villains and use them for special stuff. The fact that I could, like, go out and buy something and, like, plop it on then, it just, like, appeared on the screen just was cool as hell. You need an air Skylander to unlock this gate. And then, like, a bunch of other companies copied it, like Disney Infinity. There was, um, Lego Dimensions. That oh, was, I see. That, that was a good one. It was just not done properly. Like the concept of it is you have yeah. like a, a pole that plugs It was into just the same console, exact thing, but the... You get characters, and if you put them onto the pole, it'll show on the screen. Whatever it was the same thing, just for Lego, but the fact is you had all these crossovers, and you had, like, Doctor Who and that. But you had to build the sets, which was cool, and it was a Lego game. That's and Disney good... Infinity was, like... It was Disney Infinity. It was just Skylanders, but with tons of Disney stuff. There was the toy box where you could create like your own kind of level thing. Like, we were just like props and that. But that was it. That's a good concept. It's just, that was literally just it. Because that sounds like it encourages creativity and things like well, that. Well, it wasn't really. You could just place down like an entire skyscraper at that point. There was like different like stories you can go, you could do. There was tons of different stuff in Disney Infinity that I knew nothing about. <laughs> I didn't even know about the story stuff until, like, two years after I first bought it. That's interesting, because the story stuff is usually the primary content of the game. Yeah. Like, the... I did know it, but I just thought that was the game, you know? Yeah. The fact there was three Disney Infinities, though, that only needed to be one. With Skylanders, it made sense. Because, you know, the different engines and that. Mm. The only argument you could make for Disney Infinity was the different franchises. Oh, so but it felt like things. you had one and then, wait, like two years and then the next one. Scanners of a bit of a gap between each one. Disney Infinity, 1.0, boom. Oh, no, we've got... Um, a new franchise. I know the game engine hasn't changed at all, but unless by like one little bit that doesn't really affect much. All we've done is learn as a company on how to make games. 
Okay, let's just um make Disney Infinity 2.0 and add nothing much. <laughs> but see the money roll in. Yeah. 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 Oh no, we've so got the, the new um Star Wars trilogy coming out, like the sequel ones. Let's make a third one. I'm fine with that point because the engine for it did would have changed, you know, but still <laughs> just you didn't need three of them. Two was yeah. enough. Uh, there's a culture of that, just sequel after sequel or something that's been done yeah. before. Like if you say, films, the Battle Royale type games, such like Fortnite. There's so the first many Battle Royale ones. Was low, was the first one I think was one. PUBG. Oh, yeah. They all just copy each other, don't they? Oh, companies. God, Fortnite, like, chapter three, man, it copy. If I was the sliding, I think it needed sliding. Tax sprinting? That's just Call of Duty. Mm-hmm, yeah, and then when they added zip lines that can go up, it's the same exact animation from COD. The model for the thing they grab onto, it's the exact same shape, just different colors and obviously different graphical things. Yeah. A lot of games do, I think, copy assets from each other. That, and that's it's bad of, though. And that's one of the things I don't. I don't think the video game industry should probably go towards. And that's just like this homogenization of yeah. similar yeah. games, just in the cynical pursuit of money. There's been a yeah, leap yeah. for Fortnite. Yeah. Of like and all these games are free, aren't they? Oh god, but yeah. inside the games, there's add-ons. There's Nothing's truly free. No. Yeah. Same question to you, Tyler. Um, what's uh, what's the first game that you remember? The first game I remember playing was Crash Bandicoot, I think, on the PlayStation 1. Oh, wow. This is a long yeah. Long time ago. Uh, well, that's the first game I remember playing. But the first one I think that had like a creative impact was the Simpsons Hit and Run game. Oh, that. I have, I have like the original disc yeah. in that folder. I played that endlessly. If only kids would play more video games about sharing. Bart, you know I abhor crazy plans. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go spy on my boss. <laughs> that was my favorite game. I only played that briefly at my friend's house. Yeah, I can't, I can't really remember because it was so long ago now. It, it's basically but, just kid GTA Five. Yeah, it had missions and things in it. Yeah. Like it had an overall story, but you could just sort of explore and just have fun with yeah, it. Yeah, it was like a small open world game. Yeah, I just loved it. Just loved driving it. into people. And now it's like a, a cultural classic. That's what it's classed as, which is definitely worth the I title. Read, I had someone recently, someone managed to reproduce that game mm-hmm. in a week. Yeah, yeah, Heath, who works at Tape, he showed me this video not long ago. And it would it make is, sense because it it's an crazy. old game. This guy's completely recreated this whole game, and it looks ten times better than the original game, which is obvious because you. Oh yeah. Nowadays. There was a game called Theme Hospital. Do I ring your bells? No. no. <laughs> I've done it. Um, that it was basically a simulator game where you run a hospital. Doctor needed in hair restoration. I know it sounds daft, but obviously it's not it's not realistic. What year was that, would you say? I, I actually played it quite a while after it's initially released, but I think it was 1995. God. Because it, it came as like a bundle of games when my dad got a PC, got his first PC. Oh, okay. oh it was one of those early 2000s top-down strategy things that was like tons of. It was a mid-90s top-down. Uh, <laughs> or the predecessors to it, like two, the 2000s, I think it just spanned It's one of those, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, there was loads of them after that. It's yeah. like, the, like The Sims. It's a bit like The Sims. Oh, okay, I get you. Um, like that a, kind of thing. There's tons of stuff like that. 
It was just overused because it was better for the graphic things because it was top down so you didn't need that much detail. <laughs> so it was way easier for game companies to make them so they just did that. It's probably not the best of its genre but what I liked about it is that it, a bit like Simpsons Hit and Run, it had that humour yeah. to it. It wasn't. Yeah. It didn't take itself too seriously. Was there real Save. diseases in that? They like had really made up silly diseases like oh you've got a case of bloaty head Does... why is that just basically just two point hospital it's the same got... makers I was going to bring that up it's the same people yeah. oh god yeah that was billed as a like a spiritual successor oh. not really a sequel but it's basically a revamp they did to that game what uh, they did to the Simpsons hit and run yeah. sort I, of I just remade love it the light headedness thing you think oh they've got light headedness no they've got a light bulb for a head and you've <laughs> got to change change the light bulb to an actual head they how does that even work though I, you don't think too much about it that's the good thing about it you just if like, I just one day you just woke up as a had like a light bulb head <laughs> don't look too much into it <laughs> how do you speak how do you see. What you have to worry about is having enough funds to buy the machine to remove the light bulb and replace it with a human head. You had to be there, I guess. And of course, we put the same question to Niall. What was the first video game you remember playing that really captured your imagination? And how did it manage that? I like this question a lot. I'm not sure how best to answer it, though, because there was a lot. The first games I can remember playing were on PC and... My mum and my dad used to have a big computer, you know, one of the whole old really big screened ones, the really deep ones that go back, you know, yeah, you know the kind. Yeah, yeah. Some of the <laughs> younger listeners won't know what that is anymore, and that's quite depressing. But um, we used to have a couple of those. My mum's used to work for about five minutes, then it would cut out, so that wasn't much of an, an option for gaming. Um, my dad used to have a few different games, and it used to be in his bedroom, and we used to, like, very occasionally, when I was, like, four or five, get the chance to play, and it was, like, the most exciting point <laughs> of the week. <laughs> And we used to do some racing games. I used to watch him a lot before I started playing. Mm. But I can remember playing those the Colin McRae Rally game, um, touring cars. I think oh, I've got that one. Yeah. Uh, or one of them, maybe. It was a series, obviously. Yeah. The thing is about games like that is that they're so good for their time. It's a bit ridiculous because there's a lot of racing games these days are kind of branched off and more about being realistic instead of like yeah. just trying to find the joy and the fun in it mm. and they're such good racing games some of those older ones like you get some really good racing in it which is what it's about um, so games like that I think that probably captured my interest the most because I've become really keenly into motorsports since and that was a big reason behind that I think like the nostalgia from the, yeah. playing that game I think it? playing that game at the time kind of excited me more about motorsports and I'd watch it on TV more and it just kind of grew over the years as, into something I'm really passionate about um, and still play racing games today and yeah I think that would be the main one there's also Robot Wars game Robot wow. Wars is that was just yeah. pure chaos yep just what? attacking other robots activate let the wars begin and it's funny because I've played some of these older games back in recent years and Robot Wars in particular, because I'm, I managed to get it running on my newer PC. Obviously, wow. completely different to the the old one, a lot faster, mm. and it completely changes how the game plays. It's kind of it's even more chaotic than it was. Like you have so little time to react because everything back then was in slow motion because yeah. it was such a slow computer. Yeah. You had all the time in the world to think about what you were doing, and now it's just over in a few seconds. So it's it's yeah. interesting how that works. But yeah, I've experienced that with ports from. Oh, of, yeah. yeah, with re-releases of older games. I think, uh, yeah, it was in, during lockdown, I think I bought a few things on sale from like one of the 
websites that sell old games and uh, yeah they're not how you remember them but no. like you say I don't think it's a fair co- uh, judge because yeah. it's on a newer system obviously sometimes in good ways you, you forget about things that are amazing and then sometimes in bad ways you realise how terrible the certain piece of graphics was or something <laughs> but yeah yeah I think it helps not to be blinded by nostalgia. Yeah. You can just call things out. Well, that was a bit rubbish. <laughs> this is the Wellbeing Podcast. The topic of this episode is video games. I felt you were naturally you know, one of the first people to, to talk to about this because you have, when you find the time, out of all your duties here, <laughs> you do have your own YouTube channel. I um, Full of content. But in particular, you, you have a series called Changing Minds Through Gaming. And I'm just wondering what inspired you to start that YouTube channel. What was the what gave you the impetus to do that? So, changing minds through gaming for those who don't know is a series where I kind of combine mental health and gaming, um, kind of squish them together at once. So the idea is that it kind of reduces stigma around mental health, and whilst playing a game at the same time, it's a very relaxed kind of atmosphere. And I think that's quite beneficial to kind of show people it doesn't have to be all this really serious conversation that you're afraid of. I think that's been like the biggest motivator for me behind the series. In terms of starting it in the first place, I think kind of like watching YouTubers, the first YouTubers I used to watch used to do videos where they'd occasionally like talk to camera or talk over gameplay and talk about some random topic um, often to do with their personal lives. And I just found it really kind of like, it builds that connection between the audience and that person, and me in particular, and if they're talking about, say, depression, and you can relate to some of that in yourself, I think it gives you so much kind of like, it gives you an outlook, it gives you kind of a sense of you're not alone. I think that's very, very important. And I started doing those myself. I started making commentaries by myself. And it was good for me as well, because I kind of used it as a video diary almost, somewhere to kind of document my thoughts. And then I thought the next step was to get more people involved. It's the obvious next place to take it, and being at tape, there's loads of people around. So it was it was great to get started on that, and I think it's been a great series to help people um, when they're featured on it because they all seem to go away and think that was a really good like experience. Yeah, that's like the biggest inspiration behind it is is helping people and spread spreading that message. First question. Okay. What does mental health mean to you? Oh, it means a lot of things. Um, it means just acknowledging where your head's at at any given time and being prepared to work with that. Yeah. You just heard Callum Wayman chatting with Niall in a short clip from an episode of Changing Minds Through Gaming. The gaming's more of a backdrop, really. It's mm. more, it's more of a bridging yeah. a- activity to allow the more difficult subjects to flow. Yeah, it's, I think it's a kind of thing where if you're doing something else. Um, whilst having a conversation sometimes you can find it easier I know with, with my anxiety I find that like if I'm talking to someone whilst driving I can usually like have a more flowing conversation without overthinking it and it's the same kind of thing when you're gaming because half your brain is distracted so it can either work really well in that sense or it can get if there's a game too intense it can go way too overbearing and it can be difficult to concentrate I was going to ask that, that does, the game, does the type of game matter? Does the yes. type of genre matter? <laughs> definitely yeah. yes we've had, we've had various situations where it's been like we've just got to stop for a second and like catch up on where we are in the conversation I've seen a few where yeah. you're sort of in the full thrust of conversation you've had <laughs> talking about a very very sort of yeah. quite intimate topic or, or um, a story and then suddenly go 
you just sort of stop and you go, oh, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good example of that. I think like one of my favourite ones was the Wii Sports with Neil because there's, <laughs> there's just so many instances. Like we were sword fighting. Neil Dunsire. Yeah, Neil Dunsire at tape, yeah. the wonderful man that he yep. is. Um, and yeah, it's it's that kind of thing where it's like one second you're, you're talking about a serious topic, mental health, and having a really kind of um, open conversation. And next you're hitting Neil off of a platform with a giant sword and it's like... It's that <laughs> that juxtaposition. It works sometimes really well, but it's sometimes it, it can get hard to pay attention. Yeah, it's, it's tricky balance. It's tricky balance. I have no idea. I can't hit you. Why am I not even hitting you? Because I'm defending. Oh, okay. How do you? I didn't even realise you could defend. That was the back button. Okay. Yay! Oh no, you win. No. We've had loads of guests over the years. Um, which which guest with your favourite? Oh, you say? I can't um, pick a favourite. Yes, you must. I can't. That's, must, that's, that's the toughest question. the beginning. This is the format. This you you must answer it, the question. This is a bit where I get up and leave and just don't answer. That's too. Oh. I can't pick a favourite. Um, all of my love for different reasons is my honest answer, and I think like there's been a few where people have really. It's been very obvious where they've gained a lot from that conversation, and. I think the one that's jumping to my head is as a situation where that has happened was M, who we used to volunteer at tape, M White, and we played London Olympics together. Do you think that music helps you? Yeah, but at the same time, it can also hurt. Yeah. It can help. It can influence me a lot with my art. Mm. But if I'm in a bad day and I listen to a sad song, um, or something it can make my day worse yeah but then other times i can do that when i'm having a happy day and it doesn't even affect me mm. and she was kind of getting a chance to really voice her own problems that she's faced in a very kind of like eloquent way for the first proper time to get a chance to kind of have that voice i think was was really powerful so yeah i was very proud of of them for doing that I'm going to bring up Life is Strange. Mm-hmm. Um, what impact did that particular game, that series, have on you? It's hard to put into words. I think like it's one of those story games that kind of gave me a new kind of perspective on things and people more than anything. And I think more than anything, it made me realise more so how to be empathetic towards people. I think I've always been an empathetic person, but kind of taking that to another level and really trying to understand where people are coming from and why they might may act a certain way. Um, I think it's just a very powerful story in that sense, and I've kind of been able to take that into my real life quite nicely, I hope. Did it provide you with a feeling of connection with, is it the characters or the story? or? The, yeah, it's a bit of everything. A bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. I think it's... It was one of the first games I played where it kind of touches on mental health topics and it was one of the first ones where I kind of like experienced that and realised that there are people going through these kinds of situations. And I think the really powerful thing about video games as a kind of medium is that it, it puts you into people's shoes mm. and you have to make choices and see the choices they're making or you know through their shoes and see why they're doing that. And I think that's a very powerful way of telling a story. And looking at the different ways people react to situations or might deal with anxieties I think is a very powerful thing and I've always found with Life is Strange that I can relate to a lot of the characters in different ways or for different reasons but you can kind of take a lot from them 
Uh, it's yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting kind of connection that goes on. This is seriously the best view of the sunset. What do photographers call that? The golden hour. See, without you here, I'd have no clue. But you could take some amazing shots. Those beached whales are so sad. I kind of know how they feel. I've sadly not played Life is Strange, but okay. obviously. <laughs> I'm not really qualified for this yeah. this discussion at all. <laughs> I have over the years read tons of praise about it mm. for for making that aspect of it, um, encouraging you to treat the characters in it as real people. Because obviously you don't get that with many other genres of video game, do you? No. Where you feel a sense of attachment to the characters. You might be encouraged to, but it's largely down to the writing and, and the performance and things like that. Yeah. There's so many variables. Um, it's, it's interesting with it being a choice-based game because you're kind of you're asking that question of the player, um, which which ending or which decision do you want? Um, do you consider like the best one, mm -hmm. and how do you get from point A to point B? And I think that's quite a transferable skill towards kind of your real life actions as well, which is very interesting. I want to mention the Walking Dead game as well. If that's cool, the Telltale one. That was pretty much the first story game that I got into and that kind of opened up the world for me as well. And it's, yeah, it's one of those, again, which is just it's so intense on the emotions. Mm. And it, it's just, it's heavy in a lot of ways, but it really kind of brings you closer to the characters and the story. And I think one of the key things about these games is having characters that are really in-depth and you can you can see all the different sides of them and how they, they operate and it really kind of drives that connection. I think it's a very powerful thing. Do you think there should be more games like that? I think it's difficult because like, I know for myself I haven't played too many like newer ones in the last couple of years and I was wondering whether it's just me being rubbish at finding them. It might be. Or it might be that there's less of them for some reason. I get the impression that AAA games... Um, kind of steer away from like stories like that sometimes just because they prefer to make a game that everyone will enjoy no matter what and it's kind of it's more about the action less about like because stories can be quite divisive yes the word. you know what I mean like yeah. you can some people can see it as really good some people terrible take The Last of Us 2 for example that's been very kind of like controversial for some people I think it's great it did. It won the awards, so yeah. it got what it wanted. Again, it's another really heavy game, but um, yeah. So I'd love to see more of that. I think I'd love to see a world where kind of there's more indie games as well, like lower budgets, because mm. um, there's lots of good stuff out there. It's just finding it as well. I think things like Undertale, mm. um, not quite in the same genre, but um, is it Celeste? I don't think I've heard of Celeste. Main character who has anxiety and mm. has to climb a mountain, and that's basically the game. Yeah still a way of sort of perhaps navigating those emotions yeah. if you do share them yourself. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting how games work with a, a lack of dialogue sometimes as well. You can kind of yeah. convey emotions and things just through silent games. Yeah. Um, there is a really good, good example. I can't think of which one it is now. There's another game as well which I love called Firewatch, um, which is based around radio conversations with um, a character who you never see in person um, who's in another radio tower. And it's uh, the whole game is kind of based upon that as like the the premise is like the, the whole game mechanic system is talking to this other person and going on your little adventures around the, the woods and stuff. So it's it's really interesting. There's lots of different kind of unique ways you could approach it, and yeah, definitely hope to see more of that kind of thinking. So it's I guess diversity really mm. in the types of games and the 
stories they can tell and how they tell them yeah yeah is what uh, should be happening hello everyone my name is niall welcome back to changing minds through gaming this is going to be an episode with mr web pickers gill it's wonderful to have you here mate great yeah thank you for having me i think how did you get in touch with uh, web pickers gill the one of the directors of life is strange that was really interesting one um i think i'd been made aware of who he was because there's a person who I watch on YouTube, who does podcasts to do with the Life is Strange cast mainly and crew a bit. And he'd mentioned Webb, who's the performance director for Before the Storm and True Colors. Um, he mentioned that he was starting out on Twitch and I was like, that's really interesting. And he was talking about how he wants to interview him soon. And I thought, hmm. So I checked out his Twitch and some of the conversations he was having were about mental health. And I thought, well, he's being really quite open at times, it'd be really interesting to kind of dive into his own kind of personal experience and his insight, and I think that would work very well with um, his channel. So I think I emailed him. I think that's how I got in touch with him. I can't remember now, it was a little while ago. And I said, um, would you be up for appearing on my show? And he went, yes, of course. And we got round to the date, and it ended up being at 3 a.m. UK time to record because he's obviously in in, in, in America yeah. Yeah. yeah he's in Colorado I think so yeah it's a bit of a time eight hour time gap I think there was yeah it was a bit tricky um trying to be quiet because my family was sleeping in a house and I was like mm, don't want to wake them up I think I had about two or three hours sleep before going into it so I wasn't the most awake or cohesive but you know not like that most days either so it's uh, totally fine well you're not gonna say no it's too late for me <laughs> <laughs> but no it's uh it was really good to have him on and it's it was um, another one of those things which is quite enlightening because he's obviously someone from a different country and um, from kind of a different area of life from anyone I've had before, but he was still like so open and enthusiastic about the, the show and the idea behind it and talking about his experiences too. It's just, it's really kind of driving home to me, for one, mm. that a lot of people, and everyone does really, um, face difficulties with, with their mental health. Mm. And it's a very natural thing and there's ways around that and the more we can communicate that the better I think because it's easy to lose sight um, when you're in your own bubble um, so to speak it feels like your problems are your own and yours only and nobody else is going through the same thing and it's so, it's so easy for your mind to trick yourself into thinking that um, so yeah it's a, it's a really empowering thing I think knowing that there's lots of people out there and the more we communicate that with each other the better so what future content can we expect from Niall's channel? There's lots I'd like to do, but it's pitting down one idea and sticking with it and committing to it. Because I think the way I, I make videos is that I put so much time into them that it gets a bit intense sometimes because I'm such a perfectionist on that kind of thing. Um, but I've got, I've got lots of ideas. I'm kind of branching out a bit into short films, which I'd be really curious into making a few more of. Um, I think it's interesting how they tell a story. I'd like to do more Changing Minds Through Gaming. I'd like to reboot that and get more people from tape involved, especially because there's lots, there's lots of people here now. There's loads I haven't gotten in episodes yet, so it'd be nice to kind of keep branching out in that sense now that the, the pandemic's kind of easing off. And, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd like to do a lot, really, and just kind of focus on maybe travelling as well, travel vlogs, go travelling, record the experience, but do it in quite a unique way, I think, would be make, make it into a film almost. I think that's kind of the kind of thing I'd love to do, so... There's lots of ideas, but it's settling on one, isn't it? It's tricky. This is the Wellbeing Podcast, and this week we're talking about video games. This might be a good time for a reminder about the five ways to well-being. 
Here's how the five ways are described in a report published by the New Economics Foundation in 2008. Connect with the people around you, with family, friends, colleagues and neighbours. At home, work, school or in your local community. Think these are cornerstones of your life and invest time in developing them. Building these connections will support and enrich you every day. Be active. Go for a walk or run. Step outside. Cycle. Play a game. Garden. Dance. Exercise and makes you feel good. Most importantly, discover a physical activity you enjoy and that suits your level of mobility and fitness. Take notice. Be curious. Catch sight of the beautiful. Remark on the unusual. Notice the changing seasons. Savour the moments, whether you're walking to work, eating lunch or talking to friends. Be aware of the world around you and what you are feeling. Reflecting on your experiences will help you appreciate what matters to you. Keep learning. Try something new. Rediscover an old interest. Sign up for that course. Take on a different responsibility at work. Fix a bike. Learn to play an instrument or how to cook your favourite food. Set a challenge you will enjoy achieving. Learning new things will make you more confident as well as being fun. Give. Do something nice for a friend or a stranger. Thank someone. Smile. Volunteer your time. Join a community group. Look out as well as in. Seeing yourself and your happiness linked to the wider community can be incredibly rewarding and creates connections with the people around you. What do you feel are the positive effects of gaming on your well-being? I think the biggest thing is probably escapism, mm. um, which is an interesting one because it can be really useful to surround yourself in a different environment, almost, in a sense, and to take your mind away from the problems that might be going on in your life. And at the same time, you don't want too much of that because it's kind of being counterproductive towards um, taking steps to solve those problems in your life. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like always been the biggest thing for me. It's interesting. I don't know. It, it really depends on like the type of game and what you get from it personally. I think it can be quite a personal thing. It might sound weird to say, but um, with story games, like I think I've developed a lot of my social self from them. So I think a few years ago, I would say like me having these kinds of conversations would have been practically impossible and that was also before I'd like started playing story video games a lot and it's interesting how you can kind of bridge that gap and and kind of take confidence I suppose isn't it from seeing interactions play out on a video game and actually interacting them and then taking that into real life and like you said it is does really depend on the genre as well I mean I would say I'd approach different genres of video games depending on what kind of lift I wanted. Mm. I think like how much energy you've got available in your mind is is maybe like a context for that as well. I think sometimes it can be really beneficial just to play a really actiony game and go in and like have something that totally distracts you. And other times you might want something calmer that lets your kind of mind rest a bit, mm. gives you a bit more time to kind of process thoughts and things whilst you're playing. I'm going to plug another game, Absu, which is an underwater game where it's just super calm, super chill, you explore and stuff. And there's so many amazing moments in that, but there's also so much time to reflect on whatever it is in your real life or in the game that you're enjoying. So it's stuff like that. It's a genre, isn't there? Simulator games. You, you could argue, really, if they were actually games, in the sense that there's no there's no real sets of achievements. The yeah. goal doesn't really end. It's yeah. just it's just an escapist fantasy yeah. that you just 
dive in for a bit if you felt yeah. like it. It's almost like a, a model of real life in a way. Like some of them aren't. Some of them you're a goat and you're simulated as a goat. That's goat simulator. Not. Yeah. yeah. But some of them you're driving a truck and it's just very like um, based on reality and this is what life is like for truck drivers. Here you go, have a try with it. Yeah. Do your own thing. I read statistics somewhere, I think I've mentioned this before, with a driving game, people who play a driving game have better chance of passing their test or they are, they are better at driving than people who haven't played it because they get a sense of awareness of the car and all these other factors. It's because games are so realistic nowadays, isn't it? And they're very much a mirror reflection of real life. Yeah, it probably gives you more reaction time for something like a fast-paced first-person yeah, shooter. That's it. Reaction time is, is, yeah. is huge, isn't it? In a study, they observed children playing video games and how well they did, and also observed um, how much awareness they showed when crossing the road in traffic. And they found people who were better at the video games were also showing more awareness uh, when crossing the road. Yeah. And there's that correlation. Not sure how that works. It's not like they're playing Frogger or something. Right. <laughs> it's like what you mentioned a minute ago about the um, the fast reactions. That comes into the tale with that, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't actually prove that playing video games makes you better at crossing the road. No. I don't think anyone's suggesting that. It's just there's that correlation that people who do tend to do well in video games have that sort of spatial awareness and well, if you want to cross the road at a video game just play gta 5 but i don't cross the road i don't wait for the lights <laughs> it's gta 5 not real life bro. I just got a, there's a car coming grenade launcher it and i'm not gonna go do that in real life but i like what now said about a um how he likes to go into some certain games where it's not a first person shooter it's not a fast reaction game it's a game where you can go and just relax and he made out as if it was also some sort of like meditation, yes. in a way. Yeah, that's a good oh, word. Yeah. Yeah. Meditation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which I've never heard before. I've never heard someone explain a game like that. I tried that with Subnautica and um, I ended up quitting the game for like two months. That wasn't fun. <laughs> you can't play that game and just chill, bruh. You're just trying to like look at the like beautiful plants and all that stuff, with, like the unique graphics and that. And then giant scary monster comes up behind you makes you pee your pants and you quit for two months and don't play it pretty much <laughs> you play that kind of game for a different reason you want a different kick from that game you want to be you want the thrilled you want the thrill yeah. don't you you know it's like one of the biggest games that'll make you pee your pants there's a game called grounded it's basically honey i shrunk the kids the video game pretty much right you shrunk are you yeah you basically shrunk down to the size of like an and or whatever and it's scary as hell because the spiders are huge <laughs> and they're like the main threat so if you're scared of spiders i suppose yeah well i have arachnophobia so oh right the arachnophobia mode does not do anything at all there's just like this main area that you have to go to and it's filled with spiders that wasn't fun Instantly leave, uninstall, never play again. <laughs> I was going to ask if, uh, upon playing that game afterwards, if you noticeably had a reduced fear of spiders. No! No, it made it worse. No, because they're huge. It's not like, kill it with fire. That's lovely. You get to kill spiders. Still scary, though, when you see one just pop out your drawer. 
Then it turns out in real life there is one coming down from the ceiling right on your head. <laughs> I think that, that is literally what happened. It was not in my room. I feel like it just appeared. It looked like right above my head, going down on a web. Like it specifically just TP hacked there and was going down just to <laughs> scare me because it saw what I was playing. <laughs> What would be a game that, like, is the opposite of mental... that is good for mental health? That is good for mental health. The opposite of that isn't. I think a lot of games have mixed reviews, don't they, on what is good and what's bad. Definitely. Call of of Duty could be classed as bad because it's violent. In a sense, it has got a bad name because of all the violence and all the negativity around it. All these violent games do get a bad thing about them just because of the violence and mm. they say video games cause violence statistically they don't speaking about games like call of duty i would say there's a strong case where games like that can be unnecessarily gory perhaps but i, I think you'd have to try a bit harder to to say that that a game like that is having a negative uh, effect on someone's mental health how do you quantify yeah. that yeah. that's the thing i think there's a lot more worse things going on in the real world yeah. That people see on a, on, a, on a daily basis. Like cancer and all that stuff. Yeah. Even you can see things about war on the news, all this stuff. So you can see it everywhere. There's no getting away from it. Yeah. So it's, it's a difficult subject to yeah to pinpoint and say that is the reason why people are getting violent. Just exploring a bit the sort of excessive or perhaps the negative aspects of video gaming as mm. as a as a pastime, video game disorder as mm. it's been hypothetically. Um, known as I don't think it's <coughs> actually a recognised it, it is a recognised disorder but it's not quite an official one yeah. because not basically not enough people have it and if they do there's not enough causation to justify it being a diagnosis yeah um, from what I've read about it I think it's one of them that's quite new new on the scene isn't it because of video games kind of it's been a boom in, in video games in like the last 20 years I suppose hasn't mm. it really and I think it's one of them where people um, doctors don't quite recognise it because it's so new and because it's such like a it's almost like a foreign concept to them you know it sounds a bit silly on the face of it but I think addictions in general can happen to practically anything mm. and I think it's still something to be taken very seriously and I think I suppose you can approach it in a similar way to how you would other addictions wouldn't you really yeah. it's about management more than anything and I think the best way forward for that kind of thing is support systems more awareness again I suppose so people are aware that it's a thing that they need to kind of take care of and um, take action upon for themselves but also just having support systems there of people who might recognise that this is a problem Mm. and the solution often lies in other people and for that kind of thing and finding help and support from groups I think is is the best way forward for thinking it should be sort of an external thing people that gamers can approach if they feel like they have a problem not something that should be inbuilt into the game, per se, or yeah. should the developers take more responsibility? I think that's an interesting idea, not something I'd thought about, but I think it's probably better to have a balance, isn't it, really? Mm. I mean, all sorts of games like track how much time you're spending in them. I don't think it would be that difficult to kind of encourage people, but whether they'd see that as a, as a violation almost of like the time they're choosing to spend mm. is another question in itself. So I think maybe a mixture of both something that probably needs a lot of thought. It is a difficult one. It is. Like you say, it's going too far could be sort of violating the consumer rights of playing the game that you mm. want to play. Mm. And 
someone plays video games a lot might actually qualify in terms of the criteria and the length of time and perhaps the effects it's had on their life. It might not actually have that negative effect on their mental health. They might be uh, what they call passionate gamers mm. yeah. rather than a pathology. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, it's a very new thing. It varies for everyone as well, doesn't it? There's different tolerances amongst different people. So it's, I suppose there'd be like a, a consensus maybe to kind of manage yourself generally and kind of understand what is too much for you. Have you heard of Psychonauts? No. No. Um, I've got a quote here from Tim Schafer, and I think that's how you pronounce his name, Tim Schafer, who's one of the developers on that series. Yeah. And I'm going to mention this quote because it actually relates to what Niall um, was saying and what we've been talking about now. He said, I think gaming is a proxy for facing troubles in your own life, a very low stakes way to experience emotions and anxieties and go through them in a safe way and build up the capacity to do that in the real world. That's yeah. pretty much yeah. like, word for word what we've been talking about. Yeah. And that's all we have time for. Huge thanks to our guest Niall Jones for spending time with us and hope you can join us next time. Take care. The Wellbeing Podcast was written, recorded and edited by Tyler Jones, Alad Clark, Bryn Burgess and Rowan Driver. With thanks to Fiona Holden, Neil Dunsire, Steve Swindon, Simon Wynn and Bayside Radio. The theme music was composed by Rowan Driver and performed by Heath Williams, Charles Nichols, John Banwell and Alad Clark. The show was funded by Conway County Borough Council, by Colwyn Town Council and Winter of Wellbeing and was produced by Tape Community Music and Film for Bayside Radio.